As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. listening to Shoes, Booze, and Tattoos. As always, I'm Jess, I'm your host. Before we get into today's topic, we have to do our warning. The stories we're going to be going over are hauntings. There's really only one way that you get a haunting. There's not going to be a lot of detail, but there will be possible mentions of murder, suicide, infanticide. There will also be rumors speculation, and accounts of events that may be disturbing to some people, so be aware for that. With the warning about today's episode out of the way, let's hop right into it. So as you could tell from the title of the episode, we're going to be talking about haunted bridges. Bridges seem to capture our minds in a way that not many things do. Some people find them beautiful, or simply a means of getting from one place to the next, while others are uneasy or even terrified of them. Why is that? Being uneasy about bridges makes sense, rationally. If that bridge fails or collapses, you might plunge to what most likely would be your death. This has been portrayed in movies for decades. Though it's never usually the main topic, it's still enough to rattle your nerves. Bridges also seem to be this in-between-like thing. They're in-between man-made and nature, life and death. They're even somewhat similar to staircases, elevators, doorways, and so on passages in between one thing and the next. This in-between 
has long been talked about in folklore, and being a gateway for things not of our physical world. In reality, these in-between places deal more with the unseen or the unknown. There's a primal part of us that realizes that if that elevator or if that bridge fails, we'll plummet to our death. What's below? Water? The ground? What happens then? With staircases and doorways, it's still that unknown part. Is there someone or something on the other side there that we can't see? Will something peek its head through the doorway when we're not looking? It's no wonder these things seem to spark that little subconscious nervousness or caution in us. So with places like bridges being in this unknown category in our brain, it's no wonder so many tales and legends have spawned around these structures. You'll also notice that a lot of these legends and tales are around old or covered bridges or tunnels. This still plays into that fear of the unknown. Old bridges may give out, while covered bridges and tunnels block out the light and cast shadows around, making it easy for something to hide. Almost all of us have experienced this uneasiness. I know I get nervous going over bridges, but I also don't like heights. Keep these things in mind as we talk about these haunted bridges. What would be your reaction if you experienced these things while crossing a bridge? So for this episode, I didn't want to focus on just one bridge. We're going to be covering bridges in five different locations. For each one, I will read a well-done article about the bridge, its stories, its history, then go into what I found in my research about it. First up, we're going to go to Vermont. This is a bridge known to many as Emily's Bridge. This article is from the lineup, and it was written by Jessica Ferry. Like all great ghost stories, the legend of Emily's Bridge in Stowe, Vermont, has many different versions. Some say a young woman named Emily was stood up at the altar by her fiancé and fled from the church in anger on her family's carriage. Not paying attention to where she was going, she crashed the carriage into the creek underneath what used to be known as Gold Brook Bridge, killing herself and the family's horses. Others claim Emily hoped to meet her secret lover at the bridge so that they could elope. When he didn't show, she flung herself off of the bridge into the waters below, drowning to death. And finally, there's the tale of the young woman who became pregnant out of wedlock, and in desperation, hung herself from the rafters of the covered bridge. But one local reporter says she simply made it all up. 
In the 1970s, Nancy Stead was horrified when creepy stories of witchcraft near the bridge made it a popular gathering place for curious tourists and locals alike, leading to loud parties and unsafe swimming conditions. Quote, The girls were buzzing about witchcraft and covens, and we said we should probably tell them about this bridge and this girl Emily who died there, Stead said. Each of us would add our own line to the story, and boom, it just took off and went crazy. But it was just made up. The only problem with Stead's story is that disturbing paranormal activity has been reported at Emily's Bridge since the 1960s. Several commuters have reported hearing strange scratching noises on the side of their car and dragging noises across the top as they drive through Emily's Bridge, only to find what appears as bloody claw marks on the side of the vehicle. Or, even more chilling, shoe-like scuffs across the roof of the car. Others have spotted a white apparition floating nearby the bridge. Photographers and videographers have noted the presence of large white orbs in footage shot near or on the bridge, as well as unexplained figures and shadows. In one particularly chilling video, there appears to be a figure hanging from the roof of the bridge. Those brave or oblivious enough to walk under Emily's bridge have reported an ominous feeling of being watched hearing the sounds of a rope tightening and stretching, and even the disembodied sound of a woman's screams. Some unlucky people have been scratched by an unseen presence under the bridge, emerging with bloody marks on their backs and arms. The eerie phenomena surrounding Emily's Bridge has been so unsettling that some locals refuse to cross the bridge and even go well out of their way to avoid it. What would you do if you came across this picturesque covered bridge? Are you brave enough to make it to the other side? So I did a bit of research on this bridge. There are a ton of accounts of it being haunted. But I wonder if it's actually by someone named Emily. This person seems to not actually have ever existed. It is likely that the reporter did make up the story. I did read a bunch of articles and the book Haunted Inns and Ghostly Gateways of Vermont by Thea Lewis. That featured a story of Emily's bridge in a chapter. And it did have a lot of very good information. They did dive deep and did a lot of investigating on this. Nobody named Emily died there. There's no account of a single person committing suicide or dying on the bridge like that. I believe there was an accident on the bridge at some point, but it was a couple. And it was well after these hauntings were already being talked about. In my opinion, it is likely that if there is paranormal activity happening here, it's not because of a death at this location. Most likely, in my opinion, it would be due to the use of divination on the bridge. Prime example being the Ouija board. We've talked about Ouija boards before, 
how they can be a great tool for communication, but there are rules that go along with using one. In my opinion, it is likely that someone went to Emily's Bridge, used a Ouija board because of some of the rumors and things that were happening there. Water is a great gateway and an energy source for paranormal activity. We've noticed that in a lot of stories of hauntings. It's likely that somebody went there, used the Ouija board, and never closed that door. It would explain the things that don't really fit with one story or another. If this woman did go there and did hang herself, that for me doesn't make sense. You don't go to meet somebody and bring something with you to hang yourself just in case they don't show. Some people have theorized, well, maybe she was wearing a cloak. Yeah, possibly. It's not very likely that that happened, though. Plus, if she had used a cloak, why would there be the sounds of rope tightening and swinging? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to think of this one. What do you think? Do you think Emily's Bridge is haunted? If so, what do you think it's haunted by? And how do you think it got that way? Let me know. For now, we're going to move on to our next bridge. Now we're going to one I may have briefly covered in a past episode. I can't really remember if I did or not. But this one is one that is always fascinated me. We're going to Fairfax Station, Virginia, to Bunny Man Bridge. Now, for this one, I have two articles. The second one was just put so well, I felt the need to go from it. But for this first one, this is going to talk about the legends. This is from the website castleofspirits.com. The tale of Bunny Man goes back many, many years. Originally, it didn't start until 1931, after many murders had already been committed. For verification of the story, you can visit the Old Clifton Library located in Clifton, Northern Virginia, USA. What I'm about to tell you is entirely true, although I've never seen the Bunny Man. Everyone in Clifton believes it to be true. A quick reference to help you understand the story. The bridge has a one-lane car road passing underneath a dual railroad track right above it within the woods along a gravel road. Back in 1903, deep in Clifton, there used to be an asylum buried deep within the wilderness of Clifton. Pretty soon after the Civil War, people started inhabiting the area, population-wise around 300 or so. It was a very small town. Nonetheless, people didn't like the idea about having an asylum miles down the road. So they all got together, and they signed a petition stating for the asylum to relocate elsewhere. This petition did pass, and a new asylum was built, which is now known as Lorton Prison, and it was used as a temporary facility until convicts were appropriately sentenced. 
In the fall of 1904, the convicts were gathered and piled into the bus, which was to transport them to Lorton. Somehow, during the drive not too far from where they left, the driver had swerved to avoid something and the bus had started to tip and soon was rolling in a terrible collision course. Most of the convicts were injured but had managed to escape the bus and had fled into the woods. Later, the next morning, a local police investigation had begun. They had begun rounding up all of the escaped convicts. Hours turned into days, days into weeks, weeks into months. Everyone was recovered after four months except for two people. Marcus A. Walster and Douglas J. Griffin. During the search for both men, the police randomly found dead rabbits, half-eaten and dismembered, every now and then along their search. Finally, they were to find Marcus, dead himself, by the Fairfax Station Bridge, now known as Bunny Man's Bridge. In his hand, he held a man-made hammer, knife-like tool, made with a sharp rock and a pretty sturdy branch as a handle. They thought nothing and didn't really care how he died, only that he was apprehended and no longer had to worry about him. They had a name for Marcus, but later on, they realized they had named the wrong person, the bunny man. Still searching for Douglas, they kept on finding dead, half-eaten bunnies every so often while the search went on. Finally, they were to name Douglas as the bunny man from then on. Three months passed, and the police had given up their search. Everybody assumed the bunny man was dead by now, if not, gone. So they went on with their small-town lives. Come October, people started seeing dead bunnies reappearing out of the blue. Halloween night came around, and as usual, a bunch of kids had gone over to the bridge that night to drink and do whatever kids their age in the 1900s did. Midnight came around within minutes, and most of the kids had left. Only three of them remained on the bridge. Right at midnight, there was supposedly a bright light coming from within the bridge. It was coming from where the kids were, and less than a couple of seconds later, they were all dead. Their throats were slashed with the same type of tool that was found by the other escapee, Marcus. Not only were their throats slashed, but all up and down their chests were long slashes, gutting them. To top it off, the bunny man hung both the guys from one end of the bridge with a rope around their neck, hanging from the overpass with their legs dangling in front of passing cars. The women were hung the same way, but on the other side of the bridge. This happened on Halloween in 1905. After that, they didn't see or hear anything from him for another year. Halloween 1906 was approaching, and parents as well as teens in Clifton still remembered the incident that had occurred one year ago at the bridge. However, 
Teen still continued to go to this bridge. Come midnight, there were seven remaining at the bridge. Thinking little of it, six stayed, while one, Adrian Hatala, went back to the car. At midnight, she witnessed only this. A dim light walking the railroad track right before midnight, stopping right above the bridge, then disappearing at the same time as a bright flash was inside the bridge. She heard the deafening sounds of horrific screams coming from inside the bridge that lasted only seconds. She ran from the car and went to check. They were all hung from the edge of the bridge, same style as the corpses the year before. Horrified by this, she ran home. She didn't tell everything she saw, just spattered words here and there that some of the folk put together to come up with her story. No one understood it, or even believed her. They even charged her with the murder and locked her up in the asylum of Lorton. In 1913, the same thing happened with nine teenagers this time. Halloween night again. Adrian was still locked up. They dropped her sentence, but it was too late. The insanity had finally conquered her. Even if she was released, she was too far gone to have a decent life. So she spent her remaining years in the asylum until she finally died in 1953 of shock. No one knows what exactly she died in shock from. But supposedly, she had died in her dreams, dreaming of that one dreaded night. Perhaps the bunny man had finally gotten her. More murders were to take place, however. Though, after the murders in 1913... Most people stayed clear of the bridge on Halloween. 1943 rolls around, and six teenagers go strolling out on Halloween night. A couple hours later, all of them were dead, same way as the others. Investigations took place, but as usual, nothing was discovered. In 1976, the same situation occurs, this time with only three people. The only other incident that occurred since then was in 1987. Janet Charlottier was enjoying the night with her four friends. Halloween night had finally come, and they were just out driving around enjoying the night. They had settled around 11 at the bridge, waiting for midnight to come. They didn't believe the stories, so they decided to see for themselves and were bound to be the only ones who actually withstood the bunny man. They waited around 55 minutes or so, almost at midnight, until Janet started getting a little scared. They had all been pulling pranks on each other, jumping out of the bushes and screaming, so she was already a little worked up. Midnight hits while she is completely freaked out. She's almost out of the bridge when the lights get really bright inside. She's trying to walk out and away from the bridge. But she looks down and sees her skin start tearing at her chest. But there's nothing there piercing her skin. She does manage to finally exit the bridge, completely horrified as she hits a hanging body 
and knocks herself out. When she awakes, she finds out her hair is turned white and she's been bleeding. She was lucky that the cut had just started and it wasn't very bad at all. She left and never returned to the bridge again. She has been seen sitting on a swing bench on her balcony every morning, just staring towards the direction of the bridge. To this day, you can still find her on that bench every morning. Halloween night, you will find a bunch of people hanging around the bridge, drinking, smoking up. But within minutes of midnight, everybody leaves. It's been like that for the past five years that I have visited the bridge on Halloween night. Even if it's not Halloween night, any night you go there, you feel the presence of death waiting. Okay, so there's the tale. Here's the short myth. Halloween night comes around. Nothing happens until midnight. Right before midnight, supposedly a bunny or two enters the bridge. Right before midnight, his soul, a dim light, walks the tracks above the bridge. When midnight hits, his soul stops right above the bridge, dead center, and disappears, only to reappear inside the bridge. From then on, it's his soul which lights up the whole area so brightly that you can't even see him. That's when he instantly kills you by slitting your throat and slashing your chest, only to hang you at the edge of the bridge. You can even see rub marks that have worn away at the rock where the bodies were swinging. Whoever is inside the bridge ends up dead. This article, like I said, was on castleofspirits.com and it was written by Timothy C. Forbes. I know, it's a lot, but that is a pretty concise version of the myths and the stories that go around in this area. So let's fact check it. I found this article on Washingtonian.com. And overall, it was fantastic. They did such an amazing job of breaking everything down. It does tell the story in the beginning, which I will skip over. But it also talks about what the actual documented events were. So like I said, this is from the Washingtonian. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's Washington. I am. And this is written by Matt Blitz. Often with urban legends, there's the story and there's the truth. That's what makes the tale of Fairfax County's Bunny Man so eerie, so bizarre, and so downright creepy. While there are several variations of the urban legends splashed across the furthest reaches of the internet, the true story of the Bunny Man may actually be even weirder. A creepy guy on Halloween dressed oddly, throwing hatchets at people, is just too bizarre to possibly be true, says Fairfax County archivist Brian Conley. But it is. For four decades... The legend of the Bunny Man has captivated Northern Virginia fear seekers. Conley first heard the tale when he was in the area in the 1970s. 
it showed up in a 1973 University of Maryland undergrads class paper. It's been told and retold by local teens for years. And while the legend has evolved and changed through the years, it still follows the same lines. And those are along the same lines as the story we just went over in the previous article. It's a hell of a good piece of creative writing, Conley says, about what he thinks is the most widely known version of the story. And that's the one that Timothy Forbes wrote in CastleofSpirits.com. He specifically cites historical inaccuracies for why the account is false. Like that Lorton prison wasn't open until 1916. There's no Fairfax court record of Douglas Griffin and the old Clifton Library where he says that he got all this information. It never existed. A constant trickle of bunny man questions re-engaged Conley's interest in the story. I got tired of saying, I don't know, he explains. It took nearly a decade of research. But in 2002, he published what has to be considered the foremost paper on the subject. What he discovered is that the real story is even more bizarre than the legend. On October 18th of 1970, the Washington Post reported that Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett and his fiance were sitting in a car on the 5400 block of Guinea Road in Fairfax around midnight near Bennett's uncle's house when a man dressed in a white suit with long bunny ears approached. He yelled at the couple that they were on private property and that he had their tag number. Then he threw a wood-handled hatchet through the front car window. Luckily, neither of them was hurt. Two weeks later, the bunny man showed up again about a block away from his original sighting. According to an October 31st Washington Post article, private security guard Paul Phillips spotted the man beast on the front porch of a new but unoccupied house. He was holding an axe. In the piece, Phillips recounted what happened next. Quote, I started talking to him, and that's when he started chopping, taking several swings at a pole on the porch. And he did threaten Phillips. All you people trespass around here. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you in the head. Conley continued to dig. He tracked down the police in investigation reports that confirmed that the Fairfax County Police looked for a male in his late teens or early 20s dressed as a bunny. But the police were unable to turn up anything conclusive, writing, quote, After a very extensive investigation into this and all other cases of the same nature, it is still unsubstantiated as to whether or not there really is a white rabbit. The police later deemed the case inactive. Conley was also able to track down the still-married couple that had the hatchet thrown at them. While they didn't particularly want to talk about the 45-year-old incident, they did confirm that it happened. They shared vivid details, Conley says, as did the aunt who helped them after the incident. She remembered very clearly combing glass from the shattered window out of the girl's hair. 
To this day, nobody knows who the bunny man was or what motivated him. Conley knows that any theory he has is pure speculation, but he thinks it could be related to an elderly man, a curmudgeon, says Conley, who owned the property that the couple was supposedly trespassing on. Although the man had died a year or two earlier, maybe a younger family member took up his cause. Perhaps it was just a person who didn't like the development in the region going on at that time. Additionally, if the bunny man was in his early 20s in 1970, he would likely still be alive today. Unless he got careless with his hatchet, jokes Conley. As of this writing, no one has come forward and admitted to being the notorious bunny man. Today, the story of the bunny man has overtaken the actual truth. There was no murder, no asylum for the insane, and not even a bridge. Conley thinks the Fairfax Station Bridge, which Google Maps now even calls Bunny Man Bridge, was nothing more than a nearby local teen party spot and creepy-looking, and potentially dangerous, bridge that got incorporated into the story. Even the town of Clifton has fully embraced the legend with t-shirts and a haunted Halloween attraction. While the legend may be horrific, frightening, and blood-curdling, the truth is just as bizarre. If there was ever a story that was really ripe to grow and get a little bit strange, it has to be the Bunny Man, says Conley. It's our own homegrown urban legend. So that is the actual story of Bunny Man Bridge. Some guy, dressed up as a bunny, threw a hatchet at a car. Nobody was hung from bridges. There was never an asylum. There was never escaped convicts. This is one that just spiraled out of control. Where these extra bits of information came... Who knows? It could be a simple explanation such as the telephone game. You tell one person one thing, they hear about this man in a bunny suit, they automatically assume he must be insane. Maybe he's an escaped patient. Who knows? But now you know the true story of Bunny Man Bridge. Now this next one is a bit different. For this, the research to find what's true and what's not is extremely difficult. Now for this one, I don't have documentation for what actually happened or what the truth behind it is, but it's for a good reason, and you will understand why once we get there. Now we're heading north to Pennsylvania. We're going to go to Sachs Covered Bridge in Gettysburg. I did find a really good account of this in OnlyInYourState.com. This was written by Beth Price Williams in September of 2017. The Haunted Covered Bridge in Pennsylvania that will give you chills. Ghosts of the past linger throughout Gettysburg. 
Many who have visited the historic town, famous for the Battle of Gettysburg, tell tales of apparitions and strange occurrences on the battlefield, of sudden rushes of cold air, of footsteps in empty hallways. Ghost hunters and those interested in the paranormal regularly visit Sachs Covered Bridge, a haunted bridge in Pennsylvania you'll want to visit, if you dare. Sachs Covered Bridge has stood proudly on the Waterworks Road since 1852. Just 11 years later, during the Civil War, both the Union and Confederate armies would march across the bridge. The Confederate army passed through the picturesque bridge as it retreated after the Battle of Gettysburg. Local legend tells the tale of three Confederate soldiers who were deserters, and after being caught by their superiors, were hung from the bridge. Yet another tale claims that three soldiers were, in fact, Confederate spies. When Union troops uncovered the truth, they hung the men as punishment. Whatever the real story, their spirits are said to remain on the bridge. As beautiful as it appears, especially in daylight, Ghost hunters and visitors consistently tell of odd occurrences on Sachs Covered Bridge. Some claim to breathe in the strong scent of cigar smoke, except no one else is around. Others tell of hearing cannons being fired in the distance and feeling a tap on their shoulder, but turning around to find nobody there. Visit Sachs Covered Bridge, if you dare, to see if you too catch sight of the apparitions of soldiers, smell the strong scent of cigar smoke, and hear voices when no one is around. So like I said, research for this one was a bit difficult. There's no official documentation of any Confederate soldiers, spies, or otherwise being killed on the bridge. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, though. Documentation during this time wasn't really a priority, especially if it came to something like this. It's likely that it wouldn't have been documented. It would have just been considered a small victory over a small number of the enemy or a justice for the cause. Gettysburg already is a place that is steeped in history and legend, and for good reason. One day, I'll cover the Battle of Gettysburg and the spirits that reside there. But that's way too much for me to get into today. So, for now, we're going to move on to our next haunted bridge. We're going to head to my neck of the woods. We're going to Newton Falls, Ohio, which is about 30 or 40 minutes or so from where I live. And here, we have a crybaby bridge. I'm getting this from strangeandspookyworld.com, and this is written by author and paranormal researcher James A. Willis. So Newton Falls has a covered bridge that is known as Crybaby Bridge. 
pretty much every state has one. You probably know of a crybaby bridge near you. So this one, the legend is, it's said that many years ago, a young woman who lived in the area simply decided she didn't want her baby anymore. So she walked to the middle of the bridge late one night and threw the baby off of the bridge into the water below. Legend has it that anyone brave enough to walk across the bridge at night will be able to hear the sounds of a baby crying. Now there is a little ritual that goes along with this. Apparently, you just need to make sure that the sun has completely set before you decide to walk across the bridge. Although not officially part of the ritual, it's often pointed out that the bridge has a unique attribute. There is a pedestrian walkway built along the outside of the bridge. This suggests that in order to hear the baby cry, you need to walk across the bridge using the pedestrian walkway, as opposed to walking down the middle of the bridge. Probably a lot safer, and I can't stress enough the dangers of attempting to walk down the middle of a vehicle bridge, even in broad daylight. This is a covered bridge, so inside is going to be darker. This bridge is located around the 100 block of Arlington Road in Newton Falls, Ohio, and it does cross over the Mahoning River. So, ghostly urban legend aside, this is a pretty cool bridge, with some history attached to it. It was originally constructed in 1831. This bridge is currently the oldest covered bridge in Ohio that's still in service on the spot where it was originally erected. On top of that, Almost a hundred years after its original construction, a covered pedestrian walkway running the entire span of the bridge was added to the outside of the structure. Aside from the walkway, the bridge looks essentially the same as it did when it was originally built. Despite having been restored and repaired several times over the years, including when it was damaged by a tornado in the 1980s. At present time, there's nothing to substantiate that anything similar to the event described in the legend happened here. So far, it appears that this became a crybaby bridge simply due to its unique appearance. In fact, all of the people I interviewed who either knew the location's legend, or had personally visited the bridge, or both, no one admitted to ever hearing a baby cry. So if you have, I want to hear from you. Now again, this is all written by the author. If you have been here, and you have experienced something, go to strangeandspookyworld.com, and you can submit something about it there. He does have some quotes down here from local residents. Marvin L. from Newton Falls says, There's nothing out there. The bridge is pretty cool, though. Angela C., Also from the area, in Boardman, which is very, very close there. She says, the bridge is fun to walk across, and you get this weird feeling whenever you're walking across it and cars go past you. But I've been out there dozens of times, even at night, and I've never heard anything. And lastly, there's Joan L. from Youngstown. Again, right outside there. I know some people that said they were high on the walkway at night and yell at cars as they went by to try and scare them. Nobody really believes there's a ghost baby out there, though. 
There are also multiple stories out there that somebody in the late 1800s had a baby outside wedlock and in an attempt to hide it from family in the community, she had the baby and then threw it off the bridge and it drowned. Issue with this is it's been a covered bridge for as long as it's been there. The walkway wasn't built until the early 1900s. So it likely would have been impossible for somebody in the late 1800s to do this. They would have had to do it from the riverbanks, not from the actual bridge. So that's our crybaby bridge here in northeastern Ohio, this little bit of Trumbull County. And who knows, there might be another one in Trumbull County as well. Let me know if there is a crybaby bridge near you and what those legends are. For now, let's head to our last and final bridge. Or should I say bridges? Here we're going to Collinsville, Illinois, to the Seven Gates of Hell. Now I did find a pretty good telling here on thehorrorsyndicate.com. This is written by Ray Merrick III, I think? (laughs) And this person does also talk about their experience in going to all seven of these gates. I'm just going to go straight from this article. As I close my personal blog, Rage of Razor, I am pulling a couple of articles from Rage of Razor to the horror syndicate. I'm a sucker for a good ghost story. Countless small towns across the United States have urban legends. Details often mutate over the years, creating some fantastic stories. One such story tells of a place known as the Seven Gates of Hell in the twisted back roads of Collinsville, Illinois. So there are these gates, just a string of creepy, abandoned overpasses, or could they be conduits of the supernatural? First, a little background information is in order. Most of the gates are decommissioned railroad bridges. Collinsville is a very hilly former mining town, and to get trains through the trees and over roads or pathways, the overpasses were built. It's unclear how long some have been there, but most sources suggest the late 1800s. Since that time, the gates have starred in countless tales of hangings, occult rituals, and plenty of other assorted evil. Its dark, out-of-the-way location and the increasingly dilapidated look of the gates make them prime locations for lore. This in mind, I sat out the gates in January, and here are my findings. Gate 1 When you travel down Lebanon Road, Just outside any signs of town, you come across the first gate. I've heard no major legends or stories about this specific gate. It has a minimal creep factor, probably due to its proximity to town. A trip through this gate left me with nothing to report. Gate 2 
just after gate one. You have to keep your eyes open and make the left hand turn or you'll miss gate two and skip to gates three and four. There are a few gate two legends about this gate. One tells the story of a young African-American child being chased through a wooded area by the KKK. They eventually catch him and hang him from the gate. There are conflicting reports about this, even among lore websites. Other stories say that the young man was killed by a friend for the love of a girl. Others still claim that the young man hung his friend, and in a moment of regret, also hung himself. Whatever the reason, it's said that around midnight, you could see a young boy swaying in the wind, hanging from the gate. Some believe he waits there to wave you through to the next gate. I've been to this gate numerous times and never seen a thing. On this day, in January of 2012, I found nothing new. The legends are very creepy and sad if there's any truth to them, but tellings of the paranormal here seem to be false. I have read that these are merely rumors made up by a man doing a social experiment. I personally have no evidence to discuss this. Gates 3 and 4 are known as the Twin Gates. After you go through Gate 2, just continue driving and you'll come across some overpass ruins and the road runs parallel to the current railroad tracks. You have to take the very next right and be careful, it's a little tricky. Gate 3 is immediate and when you pass through, you will be in a valley of sorts. I recommend pulling over as far as possible and be as close to the middle of Gates 3 and 4 as possible. Get out and look around for a moment. Keep your ears open and stay alert. The legend of Gates 3 and 4 are good and creepy. Rumors of satanic rituals and animal sacrifice are said to have been going on since the 70s here. When my friend Derek and I stopped here between Gates 3 and 4, we got out of the car and looked around for a little bit. Being in this area at any time makes me feel a little sick and kind of like I'm being watched. The strange thing is, everything goes silent. All you hear is running water. If you are stopped in the middle, there's a little creek or quarry on both sides. Coming from gate three on your right side is an overgrown dumping ground. The other side was littered with animal remains. We were standing next to the car, ready to move on to the next gate when we heard a car coming. The car sounded like it was coming toward gate four, moving towards us, and it was coming fast. We jumped in the car and slowly went through gate four, but never saw the car that we heard. There was just nothing. We both heard that car coming, and it sounded like it was getting really close to us but the sound just disappeared. Pulling through gate four, I noticed white trash bags lying off to the side of the road. When I pulled even closer, it had the remains of what looked like a baby calf. I'm not sure what to think about a baby calf in a bag at gate four, 
but it's eerily consistent with the legend. And I felt watched the entire time. Before we get to Gate 5, I would like to say a few words about the house directly after Gate 4. It's been called the Death House, and is said to be haunted and used for satanic rituals. There is a sign on the fence that says, Stay Out. Please listen, someone does live there, and I'm sure they have had enough with the legend of the Seven Gates of Hell. For goodness sake, it says, Stay Out. Gate 5 Gate 5 is a pretty good distance from Gate 4, and you may lose interest in the journey, but unless you're like me and you need to get through them all, Gate 5 seems to be the most narrow of the gates and the longest. Gate 6 There is some confusion among out-of-towners regarding the distinction between Gate 6 and and a different gate known as Acid Bridge. I have been to Gate 6, Acid Bridge, many times, and it's not on Lebanon Road. Nonetheless, Acid Bridge and Gate 6 often share legends. One legend says two youngsters were driving through the back roads, tripping on acid, and they lost control of their car and either hit Gate 6 or drove off Acid Bridge, killing them instantly. If it happened at Gate 6, I would expect some sort of evidence of a car accident, or at least more safety signs or something. Legend says you can go to Gate 6 or Acid Bridge and see a ghost car recreating the horrific event. Nothing happened when we went. Gate 6 came and went with no evidence of a car accident. The electrical poles leading to the gate actually tell the tale of the two youngsters. Someone spray-painted words on all of the poles, and it's pretty cool. Gate 7. The last gate. This, they say, is the gate that leads to hell. By this point, you will be nearly in the town of Troy, Illinois. Perhaps the people of Collinsville think Troy is hell? Legend states that if you go through every gate in order... And then at midnight, upon passing through gate 7, a portal to hell will open and you will be greeted by hellhounds. Barring that, some say, repeat the order in reverse, ending with gate 1, and you will see the hounds or a portal will tear into reality so you can get a glimpse of the lake of fire. But don't run. The hounds will get you. Derek and I went through gate 7. Nothing happened. I was happy to see somebody spray-painted the number of the gate on top. We did drive back through all the gates and ended at gate one, and we didn't see hell exactly. We only saw our trip in reverse. Of course, the rules are to do this at midnight, and we didn't do that. You can decide for yourself if that may be a factor. To conclude this tale, I will tell you that the seven gates of hell are extremely creepy, especially gates three and four, But that's it. Huge on the creep factor. But the thing that I will never understand about the gates and most urban legends is, why midnight? If it has anything to do with the supernatural or hell, shouldn't it all go down at 3am? So this. 
I researched it quite a bit, and this is the most concise kind of legends about these gates. It is very interesting that this person was able to go through gates three and four because the road that connects gates three and four now is closed. This was originally written in January of 2012. They did go back in later on in 2017 and update it saying that this road was closed. So where these events were the creepiest, where they found animal remains and an old abandoned dump and stuff. And that's where it got really, really silent and all you could hear was water running. That whole part, the probably the most exciting or creepiest part there, is closed. So it's no longer accessible to anybody. Maybe it was just a practical joke type thing that somebody made up at some point saying if you go under all these bridges and then gate seven, you go to hell, you get to the next town over, which is Troy. Maybe it was a practical joke like that at one point, and then it just spiraled. Who knows? So, have any of you been there? Were you able to go back when it was actually open? Do you have haunted bridges around where you live? Let me know if you've been to any of these bridges or if you have been to a bridge that is reportedly haunted. Let me know what you thought of it. What was your experience there? Let me know. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, Shoes, Booze, and Tattoos, SBT Pod on Twitter, or you can send me an email, shoesboozeandtattoos at gmail.com. I want to thank you all so much for listening, and I'll see you all next week. Bye. I'll pick you off the ground after you've fallen down. Get up and turn around. It's not Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.